Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the 12th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37, the healing of the deaf and mute man. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right, so uh, context. Um, This comes on the heels, at least in chapter 7, of the interchange between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, who are more concerned about the traditions of men than the commandments of God. So perhaps there's there's a deafness to God's word going on there. Then you have the, the the thing that really defiles a person, not what goes in, but what comes out, and all the evil things that come out of their how their hearts, and perhaps there's a connection there. There's nothing coming out of this man. What's what's with that? And then the Syrophoenician woman. Um, how does all of this? Does this have anything any bearing on what we're reading in our text? Well, the uh, Jesus cites Isaiah twenty nine to the Pharisees mm-hmm. and seems to be connected to the healing of the deaf man because in Isaiah 29 later, uh, 17 to 24 is the Old Testament assigned and you have that the deaf will hear the words of the book in mm. there, right? This eschatological reality of the deaf hearing. So there might be a connection there between Isaiah 29, you know, Jesus kind of fulfilling that uh, after having cited it. Mm-hmm. The, um, to be sure, right, uh, he says to the multitude, hear me, everyone, and understand in verse 14. Mm-hmm. So you've definitely got, that. that's what you already mentioned, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? This guy's ears aren't working right, but neither are theirs. And then there's really a tight connection, though, between the Syrophoenician woman, because you, verse 31, our text begins with the word again, and so verse 24 is uh, that Jesus arises and goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And there he runs into this woman with the demon-possessed daughter. And again, immediately, departing from the region. So going in, he runs into demons. Coming out, he runs into a person who can't hear or speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a programmatic or a chronology there that the demons are defeated great, but then our ears need to be open so that we can confess. So that this is also kind of the end of Jesus' popularity, or maybe mm. not exactly, 
but the, this is the, this is about the point in the gospel where the hostility starts to really come out. I feel like so. you say that every week. <laughs> <laughs> this is really when they start hating him. This is really when. <laughs> uh, maybe I do feel like that. <laughs> well, here okay. they don't really. I mean, here here he's popular. Sort yeah. of, right? Well, I mean, he's confused. this is a so the Decapolis. This is a highly Gentile area too. So is right, he? Right. So, so we we don't have much. This is only recorded in Mark. This this particular pericope. We don't have much of all this journey going through the region of Tyre and Sidon and in the Decapolis. Like, what's he doing there? Is is this time away trying to? Uh, instill in his disciples what it will be necessary for the ministry of the word once he's gone. And so he's trying to avoid, I mean, he's trying to avoid the healing ministry, but you know, this doesn't take a vacation. Yeah, I don't, it is, it's a weird route. I mean, he doesn't, it's not a direct path either. No, it's it's not. So yeah, it's um, completely not direct. It seems, it seems my sense is that he wants to get away mm-hmm. from the crowds and from the Jews yeah. that are, um, but you know, I mean, he, he is of course responding in compassion to these people in front of him. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. So uh, th- that raised another question for me. Um, who are the, they in verse 32 that bring this man? They are called a crowd, aren't they? Oclos, I thought. Well, later. Um, yeah. And taking him okay, aside okay, from yeah. the crowd. I think it's a, Okay, yeah, there. So I think the crowd is, I think these are Gentiles, not Jews. I think this man's probably a Gentile. And these are people looking, they've heard he's a miracle worker. It's like Herod again. Oh, here's a miracle worker. And I think that even their request that he lay their, lay his hands on, on him is, is probably, I mean, it's a request for healing, but it's a request for a ceremony. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think there's a kind of superstitious misunderstanding on their part. Yeah. So is so are they intrigued the way the Greeks are intrigued by Paul? Um, are they intrigued the way that sometimes uh, modern folks around here are intrigued by pastors because they're spiritual but not religious, and they they kind of like um, d- debating philosophical, theological, yeah. spiritual things? It, 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 are they? For your are curiosity. They, yeah. Are they scratching an itch here or do they really perceive a need and they think this guy can do something about it? Yeah. I think they're, de- I think they're like uh, cancer patients that, you know, decide to try copper <clears throat> bracelet bracelets and magnets and marijuana. And right. I mean, mm-hmm. th- th- I so think they're after just wit's kind end. Of desperation. Yeah. yeah and, and they're willing to, Hey, who knows? Right. Maybe this will um, work. Maybe this will work. I had a, when my dad was in palliative care, we had a great doctor. He was really wonderful. I mean, you know, it's a horrible situation, but the guy was had such a great intellect and bedside manner. And of course, we're asking all you know everything that everybody asks. And well, you know, the cancer doctors had told us, well, you know, you got to get them to eat. If people eat, they, you know, their survival rate just goes way up. And he wouldn't eat. He didn't last long. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
the palate is sort of like, well, we, you know, we want to get them to eat. And he's like, yeah. And well, what about marijuana? Right. You know, cause we've all heard this about marijuana and the guy, the guy like takes off his glasses and sighs and looks at us and he's like, look, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to, you know, you do whatever, you do whatever is going to make him comfortable and so forth. He says, I have patients that do this and they say it works. But I'm just going to tell you, there's been so much research done on the medical benefits of marijuana, and all of it has come back as zero benefits. But they keep testing it because they're so desperate for it to have, right? Yeah. And uh, and he said the same thing with, I said, well, what about if he has marijuana? You know, that, that's supposed to help with appetite. And and by the way, my dad didn't want marijuana, but uh, just because he's an old, crusty conservative, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, well, what about it increases appetite? And he says, listen, the doctor told you, the cancer doctor told you this, he's got it backwards. It's not that uh, people who do better, respond better to chemotherapy when they eat uh, more. It's that they eat more because they're responding well to the chemotherapy. Yeah. So if you just for he says you know he said they, we've done this again we we've, we've fed people with feeding tubes on chemotherapy and they don't they don't respond better mm-hmm. um, you know so you're misunderstanding kind of the thing but anyway I just think about that all the time it was a it was a it was a powerful moment for me in many ways and of course my senses were super alert but uh, I just think about how we were in there right grasping at straws and. This guy told us the truth, so thank God for him. But that's what I think these these people are doing. They're like, well, I've heard anecdotally that, you know, there's these stories and maybe they're true and let's try it. I mean, I run into people all the time that are absolutely convinced of the medical benefits of marijuana in the all over. I mean, my members, other pastors, and I mean, I, look, I don't know. I'm just telling you what this guy said, mm-hmm. but it rung true to me, right? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that that's what I think they're doing. They're just like, what can we do? Okay. Magic, anything, you know. Why is this so so needed for someone who is deaf and can't speak? Why are they at their wits? It's not like he's about to die. Why why this situation? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I I know why and from so his I, point of view, but why does the crowd care? Yeah, why does the so like I would get so like Gyrus or and his daughter, yeah. or the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter, or yeah. uh, uh, Mary and Martha with Lazarus, you know, all these other instances where people are, are at death's door. That's not the situation. So why right. the why that intense need and feeling that they, well, we'll just give this a shot. That doesn't- right. And is he, is he the only guy? Is he the only deaf mute or the leper? I mean, they don't have anybody else sick. And why this guy? Yeah. Yeah, I've wondered before. I have no. I've wondered before if they're, you know, if he's from from a wealthy family or from a well loved family, or you know, why they care about this particular guy, or if he's just convenient. If it mm-hmm. is a curiosity thing, yeah. But from the point of view of the guy, right? It mm-hmm. is. I mean, one of the most even right. The one of the most frustrating things in the world is to not be able to communicate. I mean, this is why even though we hate them, we have microphones in church because it is super frustrating to people when they can't hear. Yeah. And, it, and, and we hate it when we're the ones that can't hear, right? Yeah. It's, it just drives you nuts. And it's similar, almost worse when you can't express yourself, when you can't speak. You know, I think about- Yeah, but does uh, he, you know, does both, this guy know what's going on? Does he know I who just Jesus listen, is? Yeah. Does he oh, even- no. 
I don't yeah, think so. I don't know. Yeah. So he doesn't. He doesn't know. No, but he knows he he knows he can't speak, and he knows that sucks, and he knows he can't. He knows he knows he. Yeah, I mean, he knows he's got a need. Now, do you think uh, that he lost his hearing and his speech? You know, because it, it be speaks another... about uh, it speaks about um, a speech impediment, um, like a, a grumbling of speech. So, is this an indication that he could hear at one point and he could speak, and now he's lost that ability? Right. It could be. Do you think it this is an that, old man? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, the, so the word that the word that we translate deaf means both deaf and mute. Mm-hmm. And then, so you 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 get this. Then I think I don't, I wouldn't make a big deal about this being a speech impediment, though technically that's correct. I think it just means deaf and mute. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, it would make sense if he if he was if he hadn't always been deaf if he'd, you know, lost his hearing as a child that he had, he could, he knew, remembered how to make some noises, even though he couldn't hear them, you know, but then mm-hmm. can't make them precisely or something. Yeah. Cause it, cause later it says that he speaks orthos, right? Rightly. Yeah. Orthos, right. Um, correctly. So, yep. It, so there does seem to be something like he's making some sounds. Could be. But it's I don't think I don't think or I don't think it has to be. Re- I think it could be that they didn't want to repeat this word for deaf twice, and so they use they use a, a synonym for mute. But anyway, they I guess Mark I should say. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, it, I don't I don't I wouldn't make a big deal of it personally. I don't I don't think you can prove too much from it. it. It literally means an impediment of speech, just as you said, rather than muteness. But because you already used the word for mute to say, so there's a, here's an interesting thing in this text um, that I never noticed before. The structure of this, uh, you have this, this twofold repetition four times. So verse 32, he's deaf and mute or, uh, or deaf and speech impeded. And then 33, ears and tongue, 35, ears and tongue, oh, I'm sorry, 33, ears and tongue touched. By Jesus, mm-hmm. and then thirty-five ears and tongue opened by Jesus, and then there you have that orthos, the uh, speaking rightly or correctly, and then verse thirty-seven again uh, in the mouths of the people, right, hearing and speaking. So mm-hmm. you all, you have those two things. I mean, I mean, there's there, there's definitely an emphasis here on the two-sided character. Both he is. A, incapable of receiving the word of God. And he's also incapable of confessing the word of God yeah, or anything else. But I, you know, there's almost another, so I was trying to see if I could, uh, once I noticed that I started thinking, huh, you've also got Tyre and Sidon, right? The Decapolis and the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if there was just like a whole kind of balanced thing throughout this, but well, sort of that is be opened. Yeah. I mean, it's just so a translation of it, but it's just a, tr- yes, it true, a, twofold. It's a couple. Yeah. He commands them, uh, but they proclaim it. I mean, I don't know, but there's definitely that deaf, mute, hear, ears, tongue, speak, hear, right? Emphasis mm-hmm. going on. The epistle assigned, Romans 10, 9 to 17, is quite a nice commentary on this text. Um, so I think helps helps uh, naturally develop an allegorical reading of this, which is appropriate, that we confess with our mouths, believe in the hearts, but confess with our mouths, and a mouth confession is made unto salvation, 
And then you get into the whole, how do they hear without a preacher? And then faith mm-hmm. comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Romans 10, you know, you could preach on Romans 10 and use Mark 7 as basically an illustration. Mm. And Romans 10 you know, is to, just the, what, Isaiah, is it Isaiah 40 something? Is the, that 52? Isaiah, uh, how will they hear without, I don't know, For Isaiah 53? It is, uh, it is Isaiah. <laughs> it is Isaiah. The, the who, how will they hear without a preacher part is, yeah. Yeah, how beautiful the feet, that bit. Right, right. Well, you're, you're embarrassing me that I don't know where that is in Isaiah. Well, I, I, I'm with you. I don't remember. I I thought it was in the forties, but well, it could have been in the sixties. Let's see. Where is it? Uh, Okay. So, so this, so you're going to want to handle this in an allegorical way. Yeah, of course. Okay. We got We got to get over our, Hey, the, the, um, it's Isaiah 52, seven, the, 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 the newest journal, uh, Concordia journal from St. Louis, I haven't read it yet, but I just, I just started looking at it and it looks like it's got three excellent articles in it on allegorical reading and a mm. patristic reading of stuff. So okay. I'm uh, that's nice. And uh, kudos to them. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be, those three articles are going to be very useful, but yeah, we need to, uh, we need to sort of redeem this. I, I think I've probably talked about this on here before, but this mm-hmm. book by um, Tim, God sense. Tim. Yes, that's the one. Okay. So I've already talked about it. I won't do it again. All right. So then allegorically, what are you going to do? I mean, are you just going to say our ears, are, our ears are shut yeah. and the word of God comes and opens them? And Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say that uh, he who has ears to hear, put them to use, right? Listen, pay attention. So I had this under the uh, correction, using this as a correction of behavior. So what is heard matters, right? So if you fill your ears with garbage, right? If you're listening to television all the time and you're listening to rock music all the time Mm -hmm. and you're listening to whatever, right? This is going to change your heart and change your speech. And so you need to be spending your time in the word of God. All right, I mean, so there's there's two sides to that, isn't there? So the side yeah. that you just said that you're giving yourself bad things, but if you're listening to that, you necessarily it's an opportunity cost. You can't be listening to other things, and it's going to change your your brain. Yeah, yeah, sure. Your heart. Yeah. Well, and the other yeah, and the other side. So there is an opportunity cost. There's also a damage that's being done. It's not just wasted time. Mm-hmm. There's also then that what is said. The way that we speak can be chosen, right? And should be chosen mm-hmm. and it should be controlled. Words don't just come like we always joke around here about the whole passive language thing. Uh, and I've told that story on here before about the knife went in. Yeah. So my big my big line with the people that work in this building, you're telling some story and then bad words came out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a joke in a way, but it's, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, a way of accusing myself when I yeah. say this, cause it's like, yeah, bad words didn't just come out. You know, I responded poorly according to the flesh and, you know, here you've really got, and this, this is a rebuke for a peculiar Wyoming pastor who argued with me about this, uh, Ephesians chapter five verses three to four <clears throat> is not just talking about taking the name of the Lord in vain. 
Paul writes, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things... And then these things includes, uh, you know, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, right? But because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. And I have a, I mean, this is a personal weakness of mine. So I'm, uh, I mean, we just had a Godestines meeting and there was some coarse jesting. That was, you know, shouldn't have happened. There, there was and, some coarse jesting in the passing <laughs> voice. Yeah. Coarse jesting came out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we have to. We need to. Uh, we need to man up and own this as a, a, a rebuke of God's word, and recognize mm-hmm. that we're called to a higher standard than simply not blasphemy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know this is, is sort of painful, though I'll tell you, this guy did have a clever, it was a brilliant thing. He told me that, because we were just sort of debating about, you know, is this sinful and stuff, and uh, wh- whether it was sinful to, you know, use foul language. Obviously, nobody nobody thinks it's, it's uh, acceptable to use our Lord's name or, mm-hmm. and the like. Or to, you know, insult people and that stuff. I mean, none of that was on the table. But uh, he was telling me that he had a, he was with a friend of his from like high school and who was a pagan. And the, and the guy was actually blaspheming, right? Dropping the Lord's name and call, using it to call damnation down upon things and people, just casually, you know, how people do. And so his response, this was brilliant. So he asked him to stop, he said, and the guy just like wouldn't or couldn't or whatever. So he, so this guy, this pastor, he's, he starts dropping the N word as a, and, and, and the, the, he's like, well, if you're going to say that, then I'm going to say this. And, and the, it drove the, it drove the guy off. He couldn't, he could not tolerate to hear that word at all. He was using the Lord's name with, which I think is really, was fascinating. First of all, it was a kind of a brilliant strategy, but it was also like, it's fascinating to see that words do have power, right? And, you know, and, and I mean, look, that's an offensive word. That's why I I can't bring myself to say that word. I don't want to say it. I don't want to hear it either. What word? Why (laughs) the N word? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I can't say that. I'm not going to say it. And, uh, but the, uh, but there, but, that, that blasphemy that the Lord's name is used without just total impunity by, mm-hmm. right? What is it that I think, you know, why does the, the N word, what do they actually worship? And because why is this so powerful and dangerous mm-hmm. and so yeah. forth? And uh, so anyway, I think that's, you know, this, there, there are foul words that are, everybody recognizes kind of as inappropriate. And in some ways it demonstrates a couple of things. In the first place, I think it shows what we actually think matters mm-hmm. and what we'll be judged by. And secondly, it shows the deep power of words. He drove this guy off his porch. He couldn't, he, the guy couldn't out of just decency and common respect. You know, when he said, look, that's offensive to me. Stop saying it. The guy just like could not stop saying, right? Mm-hmm. Using the Lord's name in this foul way. Um, but, uh, 
but then all of a sudden, you know, he is driven off. Isn't yeah. that isn't that an interesting story? That is, that is interesting. So anyway, that's the Ephesians uh, five text that I think goes with this, right? Not only what we speak, but what we say, um, in terms of correction and calling our people to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Top, stop talking like a sailor, you know, yeah. and uh, stop the course jesting and and act in and behave in ways that are upright and uphold one another and encourage one another and don't tolerate this sort of stuff in the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So do you think then there's like a, a another level of that where if if Christians were to to begin to practice this, that it would draw others whose ears are stopped to them like it, Jesus here, people are drawn to him. Uh or drive away those that are particularly demonic? It, well, I don't, it may be. I mean, there is something I notice, even though, again, I have a I have a foolish, embarrassing weakness for this kind of language. But I notice that when I hear other people use it, I think they sound so stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just can't believe, why would you say, I mean, you're saying idiotic things. And it doesn't even make any sense. And you just sound like you don't know how to speak. Um, I don't know if it's exactly always spiritual, but I mean, I think there is something. It's just, well, it's not reverent towards words. I love this. uh, I don't do this at all, but I'm not like this. But I do kind of find it fascinating that the Orthodox Jews to this day treat all words with, theoretically, with deep respect, so much so that they they bury books. So if you have a Stephen King novel, paperback, you know, from 1985, that's all mildewy and, you know, is just rotted away, they won't throw it in the garbage because it's the written word. They bury it. Hmm. Did you know that? No. And it's because the written word is, has, they have this reverence for it. And now I don't quite have that, and I think that's over the top. And actually, of course, in their case, it's actually kind of superstitious. But I do find it fascinating idea that there is a recognition that 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 books matter, and more importantly, that words matter. And I think we need some of that with our spoken words. Mm. That they have, they they actually have this power to get into people's brains, to put images into their brains, and again, you know, when we're using them for divine purposes, when we're mm-hmm. speaking God's word, right? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But you know, I like this. I like this uh, rebuke of swearing or cussing with, uh, you know, do you kiss your mother with those lips? Yeah. And I've thought maybe we need to change that. Maybe do you say the Apostles' Creed with those lips? Yeah, you know, there there is something to we're misusing this power, and and by the way, that's why we do it. I mean, that's why we like those cuss words because they do have a kind of power, though they get you know, um, they sort of lose their potency in some way. But that's what we're trying to grab. You know, we want we want to be shocking. We want attention. We want to kind of overstate things so that people, you know, no, I'm not just mad. I'm really mad, and I'm going to show you. But you know, it's idiotic when you examine it. But that's why we're doing it. Yeah, it seems like too. There's a sense that we want to fit in and oh yes, as normal or cool. That's right too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Well, this I'll say. So back to this. Uh, this is great. I hope he listens to this because he can't talk back. So this guy was having this discussion with, 
it actually started because I was telling him how, um, like when I play darts with these guys here, you know, these kind of blue collar mm-hmm. alcoholics that I play darts with, they just cuss like crazy. And once in, and they all know I'm a pastor. And so once in a while they'll say something and then like turn and look at me and apologize. And what I, what I want to say always is, Oh, it doesn't bother me. Right. You know, I'm yeah. too cool. I'm too tough to, I'm not going to be hurt by your foul language. What, the, what do you think? I'm so weak, you know, that my ears can't handle this. No, I'm worldly. I'm tough. I'm yeah. But that's, but I think that's completely the wrong response. I try to, when I have the courage, you know, and I haven't been using those words myself, you know, I try to say, uh, that's right. You should stop saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie's better at this than I am. Uh, Jackie's actually really has has rebuked people in bars. Really? <laughs> for, for use of the Lord's name. Yeah. It's it's humiliating to me because uh because she's right and she's good to do it. And of course I have I've never done this. And uh but yeah, she's she just can't take it. If they're if they're cussing, you know, she she doesn't like it, but she puts up with it. But when they're when they're using our Lord's name over and over again, she'll just she just tells them. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty it's pretty impressive, actually. I've yeah. I've seen her do it like three or four times, and I'm just like, you know, kind of in awe. And so are they, by the way. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to respond. You know, here's this old lady rebuking them. I mean, she has a maternal, you know, uh she's got that angry mom ability. Yeah. And they do listen. I mean, it gets their attention. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I haven't I I've done it for you know, if I've got my kids around and if someone's being very loud, I'll ask them politely, you know, look, I don't care how you talk at home, but you're not at home. Yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe that should be taken just back one more step. Mm-hmm. I, you, I do care how they, talk. you do care how they talk yeah. at home. You should never talk that way. Mm-hmm. But, but I guess it depends if you're talking about cussing or blasphemy. Well, no, it, it shouldn't in a way. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot to explore here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you know, it's very difficult when you're watching movies, you know, and television that is just filled with this kind of language. Yeah. You know, but to, but to actually devote ourselves to things that are beautiful, that are worthy mm-hmm. of our attention. Um, you know, the word of God, of course, foremost. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a time to tell our people again, as we should be telling them regularly, that we expect them to read the Bible and to pray every day. And to come to church every week, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I've really well. You've had been influential in on me in this. Uh, really tr- striving to give very specific advice and counsel about how to fulfill these things, mm. not just vague. You know, we should we should fill ourselves with the Word of God, right? That's true, but but then to say here's how you do it, yeah. Uh, you have to. You need to actually read the Bible every day, and I and I would uh, throw in, it'll probably work better if you have a regularly scheduled time, mm-hmm. and you do it, and you and you tie it to another habit, such as eating dinner or breakfast. Yeah, you know, so that you do it right after or right before, but in connection with that, you do it. You know, you leave the Bible on the table all the time. Yeah, you give them the way. I think to. to well, that's how the Catechism sets that. it forth, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It, it, he ties the prayers to things that you're already going to, you're getting up or you're going to bed or you're eating. 
Yeah, it's hilarious. The Bible, the Bible never never uh, says that we should pray before we eat. I mean, you but have this. You have Pharisees. examples of it, don't they? Well, I mean, you have Jesus praying before the feeding of the five thousand. Yeah. You have the Pharisees complaining about the 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 disciples not washing their hands. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but but I think it's interesting that that's so deeply ingrained. Uh, which I mean, it's a beautiful custom, but it's it's funny. Like uh, it's. I don't know. It, it's such a beautiful and deeply ingrained custom. I think it's kind of surprising that the Bible doesn't advocate. I mean, I advocate it yeah. completely, unashamedly. Not, you know, again, not that this is the way you earn your way into heaven, but but to recognize that this is a tradition of deep value, mm-hmm. you know, to, to pause and remember that we're not animals, you mm-hmm. know, you know, just diving for the steak on the floor. But uh remembering that God provides it. So, Okay, so correction, pay attention to what you are listening to uh, and be listening to the right things. And then remember that you can choose what you say and be saying yeah, the right things. Yeah, you're in control. Yeah. Um, that words have power uh, both in your life and then in the lives around you. What other uses of scripture do you see happening here? Uh, for doctrine, I've got, I mean, you could, the Romans 10 thing, faith cometh <clears throat> by hearing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, I mean, you could just simply teach on that. Uh, also, uh, doctrinally, this word ephatha, for us at least, it's in the Luther rite for baptism. Mm-hmm. I say to the children before they're baptized, ephatha, that is be opened. I don't know if that's in the LSB rite. It's not. Is it? Oh, that's too bad. Well, if you use the Luther rite, you know, there's a connection there that, that could be made um, that we need to be opened by God in order to receive his spirit, and both the opening and the filling are by the word, right? So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God again, but the ephatha. For reproof, I, I had, I don't know if this one works, <clears throat> but I, you know, this idea that ceremonies matter. So they request a ceremony, I think superstitiously, that he'd lay his hands on on the deaf mute. But Jesus pulls him aside privately or to himself Mm -hmm. and then does engage in the ceremony of touching both both his ears and his tongue and also spitting and maybe putting the spit on the tongue, um, which is Mm kind of gross. But uh, but in any case, there is a ceremony there. But then, of course, uh, he then commands. He he does pray there. I mean, that sigh, I think, is a prayer. He looks to heaven, to his father. He mm-hmm. sighs. That's kind of a sigh of complaint, a groan. Um, he's dissatisfied, probably, I think, with the brokenness of this man and his sorrow because of sin in the world. Uh, though it could be a complaint against the people that brought him, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't ask. This is sort of important for so the divinity. The, the ceremony, though, are, is this? Are you bringing this up because you're saying not just that they matter, but it communicates something, and that right, so we should right. be so we should be um, we should be focused on or or beware of what we're communicating with our ceremonies. Yeah, and we should be de- as deliberate, deliberate as we can be, right? So he's uh, so he anyway. He doesn't pray, ask God to heal him. He heals him. He yeah. commands 
the opening. But the, the ceremony is parallel, it seems to me, to the sacrament of the altar. Because what Jesus is doing by touching the ear and the tongue, because he can't talk, the guy can't hear him, is showing him that he's what he's going to act on, right? Mm, yeah. And uh, and we do this, you know, we point to the bread and to the wine that we're going to actually consecrate during the distribution. Mm-hmm. And I that's uh, it's it's important. Um, it's an important ceremony because we're not just you know consecrating all the bread in the world, you know, or the bread in the you know the bread in the kitchen church kitchen or sacristy. It's this it's this right here. But it, it's also well, if you're doing important. it online, it's okay. Yeah, if you're doing it online, then you can just sort of yeah mm-hmm. point to the I don't anyway. So uh, the it, you can it's change the way the, the word this means. You can change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey. Oh, brother. You know, I have a. <laughs> Our, did bad words almost come out? <laughs> bad words almost came out. <laughs> anyway, the it it matters because the body and blood of Jesus is actually physically present for right the risen body and blood of Jesus is present in these very things yeah it's not an abstraction it's not some spiritual reality Jesus is living in our hearts yeah I mean Jesus is present in our hearts but the sacrament of the altar is different um, in that he promises to be present here for us to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins so mm-hmm. the the physicality and the indication the ceremony there I mean it's not probably 100% necessary. But what is necessary is that we don't think that Jesus is just, you know, omnipresent, so he's everywhere, and so this is, you know, just that kind of idea, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that we're talking about the sacramental presence, the promised presence that's for the forgiveness of sins, and that's here where he promised us to be in this stuff that he told us to use, bread and wine, with these words. So that Jesus is doing that with the tongue and the ear, right? This is what's going to be healed. So ceremonies matter, right? They confess, and we should be deliberate uh, for training. So this goes along with the yeah, the confession, the the speaking, yeah. the the making known. That's right. Yeah, and you know, you could, I suppose, you could bring up sign language. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could talk about the fact that sign language is still words and mm-hmm. it's still speaking, and there's still a hearing of it, even though it's through the eyeballs, not through the eardrums, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and and this oh, that's actually that's pretty good. This this is sign language, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I had a I had a friend in high school who was who was deaf, and his favorite sign was the one that every American knows, whether they know any sign language at all at all or not. Peace or no, love. the middle finger. Ah. He he loved he loved that because it was a universal sign. And uh, anyway, back to bad words. Yeah, he was like, everybody knows this one. And I'm like, yes, they do. So. <laughs> Forgot about that. Uh, all right. So, yeah. So you could, anyway, but I mean, it would be totally legit to recognize sign language as a legitimate language, legitimate words, legitimate hearing, and, and, to, and to tie it to this. For training, here's a, here's a weird one. Uh, so training is about right learning to suffer evil in this world, according to Gerhardt. Unless I'm mixing up the categories again, I don't think so. So the anyway, the world doesn't know 
what Jesus is commanding, right? These people, he tells them, don't tell anybody about this. And they just ignore that because they can't comprehend what he's saying. It doesn't make any sense to them, right? They're, they're, they're filled with wonder and astonishment and they're happy and, and they're praising him. How in the world could he not want this? Mm-hmm. So even though they can hear the words that he says, they do not understand them. And then they act contrary to what his words said. Uh, out of kind of, uh, you know, well-intentioned ignorance in a sense. And I think that this is very parallel to a lot of what goes on in the world today, um, that we are kind of suffering often just this sort of stupidity in a sense about divine things from unbelievers who don't even know they're unbelievers. Mm -hmm. I mean, we still have this in our society, this sort of cultural kind of Christian. I mean, they celebrate Christmas, don't they? Mm-hmm. They believe that God loves them. They know Jesus died on the cross and loves everybody, hates the sin, but loves the sinner. I mean, they they know all, they know John 3.16. They don't really believe in any of it because they they think they're universalists, right? But but because of this, then they're they're often just doing things that are offensive to the faith or harmful to themselves and potentially They'll do things that are harmful to you if, if you let them, or to your children, mm-hmm. if you let them raise your children. And so, so we have to be sort of aware of this, that they can't, because they don't have faith, they can't hear God's commands. And they just, dis, and when they, it, I mean, they can hear the words, but they just dismiss it, right? Well, there's no way he really meant that. I know, I know he said, don't do this, but, right, that's not what he could have possibly meant because he's love. And so, so I think there's a certain kind of sense in which we can identify with Jesus in this, that we're dealing with people that we can't really communicate with. <laughs> and we have to then be wary of them and recognize that as nice as they might mean to be, their, their actions can be very harmful. And we have to learn to sort of suffer this with, with patience and with hope, right? Knowing that we do know the truth and that Jesus does know what he's doing and all things do work together for good and he will reveal himself in time. Yeah. So what direction, what direction does that point us? I mean, it doesn't tell us not to speak these things to them though. No, no. It's telling us, I mean, so what, what I'm thinking of is ter- in terms of how we have to just sort of, so this isn't really telling us what to do. It's telling us how to endure it. Mm. Or, and part of that is just recognizing that you are suffering evil from these people, right? There is this sort of difficulty. I mean, you could just say, you know, this could be even in terms of dealing with your own, you know, adult homosexual child. Yeah. You know, who, and he just can't hear what, he doesn't understand what you're saying. And uh, you still have to say things to him, mm-hmm. but that inability to communicate with him because he doesn't have faith is very painful. And I, I think we sh- w- that what we do in part is we're, as preachers, we're just naming this reality. Yes, <laughs> this is painful, and this is why. And no matter how articulate you are or clever you are or how winsome you are, you can't communicate divine things through the word of God to those who do not have faith and who will not receive it, right? They will not repent. They don't recognize God's word. They don't want it. And so this is a kind of reality that you have to suffer and endure. And you may not be able to stop him from doing evil things, but you have to be aware of this. And you know, you you also, 
to some extent might have to protect yourself or your other children or your grandchildren from him mm-hmm. and, and other things. I mean, there, there's just this kind of reality and that's very painful. That's a, that's a wickedness in this world that should not be right. Yeah. But you can say to him, you shouldn't do these things. It's just like Jesus saying to these people, don't, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And he, he's just like, no, that's not, that's not what you mean. I mean, that's not what God means. He knows better. Yeah. Well, there is a sense too when they're they that there this inability to communicate with those around us is is what Jesus is approaching in this this deaf man though, and he right. does. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that's the, that's the upside, right? You know mm-hmm. that he, the word of God does can and does change hearts. And, you know, he says, be opened and it's open. And we keep praying for this and we keep, we keep speaking, but Jesus doesn't have a very good success rate either. I mean, yeah, it works on this guy, but it doesn't work on the crowd. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we just had the week before this, right. That, or two weeks before this, the, uh, you know, Jesus riding up to Jerusalem mm-hmm. and weeping because of their ignorance of this, <clears throat> you know, mostly, mostly it's rejected. Sure. I guess the I guess the difference is, and they're praising him. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times people think they're praising him. I mean, they you know be, I mean yeah, no, because but in our day they're not. Well, sometimes they, even, well they they don't think they're praising us. Oh, I think they well no they don't think they're praising us. They're praising the real God, who's a God of love. Mm. They they're they right. They're not saying they're not saying God is wicked. They're saying your fake God who you base upon the Bible, which is a patriarchal, you know, right? But the real mm-hmm. God, we know what he's really like. He loves everybody. Nobody's going to hell, right? He's mm-hmm. wonderful. All religions lead to him. I mean, on and on and on it goes. But they're saying, I never have heard anybody. That's why, see, I, I've never, I mean, I'm, I, maybe they really do exist. I, I, I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I think maybe they do. These This like Satanist thing always seems to me, so unimaginable and fake that they would that somebody would actually embrace something they know is evil. Like Wiccan Wiccan religions don't actually think that the devil is evil, that somehow this is actually good. So I think there is in their minds they are they're praising the real God. That's the point. Mm, but they're okay. doing it by rejecting his word. That's what these people do. They're rejecting Jesus' word. And doing what they think is 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 good and what is right based upon what he should be like according to their standards, and then, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And that sucks when it yeah. happens to you, right? So, I mean, that's yeah. Thing. So, are, is this something that you would bring up? Like, would you go? Would this be? You would. You would go through all the other stuff that you've talked about, and then you would also bring this up, or is I. This would this be, better be. I think this is going to take some time to develop. This better be your your only thing. Really? Yeah, because okay. I think this is going to be hard to ex- look how hard it was to explain to you, and uh, the uh, I think it's going to take some time, and it's going to require some finesse because it's going to be painful to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I would say this be your this just jump right to the end. Jesus healed this guy. That he said, "Don't tell anybody." They couldn't comprehend how that could possibly mean what he actually meant. Mm-hmm. So they dismissed his word and violated yeah. his commandment, thinking they were praising him, but actually blaspheming him. And then this, this is one thing that day. they always want to know. Did they sin by not listening to him? 
Every yeah. every year this text comes up right. in Bible class. They're like, so pastor, <laughs> did they <laughs> See, sin? we're still doing it. We're still doing it. Yeah, if Jesus tells you not to do something, I mean, it, I'm trying to think of a case mm. where, I mean, there, there there are cases where Jesus uses you know forms of speech where he doesn't quite mean like like in the Lord's Prayer we pray, "Lead us not into temptation." We don't really mean, Jesus, please don't lead us into temptation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, so I mean, there are times when that we don't mean exactly what the words seem to say on their surface, but the literal meaning is you know an implied meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he says, "Don't tell them, I, don't tell." And I, I mean. I, Yes, I think they sin. He said, "Don't do it," and they did it anyway. And they're not seeking to understand what he's what he what he commanded, right? They don't ask for clarification; they just do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, part of why we can't—it's hard for us to think that. See, again, because it seems like what they're doing is good because they're saying nice things, but sometimes saying nice things is the wrong thing because it's not accurate. Yeah, it's misleading. I, I mean, Luther doesn't take it this way. Luther says, you know, we should, we should, we should praise, praise the Lord, just like these guys are praising the Lord. (laughs) Does he say that? Yeah, he does. Uh, Well, I don't think, and I mean, I think we should praise the Lord, uh, obviously. And, you know, he he definitely says like, we should follow their example. Oh, that I don't think we should do. I mean, this is not, this is not the right, it's a, it, it's not, I don't think it's the right example. I mean, obviously, this was a specific command to them that doesn't apply to us, you know, in the same way. But I don't think that actually, no, I think they're wrong. Okay. I wonder what I wonder what Velt says. I, I read Veltz on this, but I don't I don't remember what he said about that particular. If he commented on it, I mean, he did he did have stuff about the messianic secret and why. I don't think he I don't think Veltz is going to say that they did a good work by disobeying his command mm-hmm. because he he tries to explain the command why Jesus would say this and it, and it's not it's not uh, because he doesn't mean it you know it was just the standard answers like it'll be confusing to people they'll come looking for a miracle worker yeah. it's not his time yet you know that stuff okay so yeah yeah Luther definitely takes it as you know funny likewise we should we should praise the Lord for his his work in the word and the sacraments. Well, I mean, it'd be a fine statement if you dropped the likewise. <laughs> <laughs> we we should we should praise God for all those things, and we should tell what yeah, He so has done. I, yeah, I just pulled it up here, so it's therefore <laughs> let us remember and take heed of this, uh, take heed of this miracle, and follow the example of the pious people that praise Christ the Lord here, that He had made all things well, that He makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. This he does, as stated before, forever within the Christian church by means of the sacraments and through the public public word, that the ears of the deaf are opened and that the dumb are made to speak. Through these means and through nothing else, the Holy Spirit wants to perform his work in us. Mark that well and cling to it with greater diligence, for that is the nearest and surest way that our ears may be opened and our tongues loosed and we be saved. By disobeying the commands of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's making a distinction between them praising, like praising him, he does all things well, and then them doing it all the more zealously. I'd have to look know. that up. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I think um, I think he's just. I think he just got sloppy, and um, he just got confused on on what actually was happening. 
I mean, because everything he says is obviously correct exhortation. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's basing it on an example that I think is flawed. Yeah, because he misunderstood it, and and I can understand how that happens. I mean, I'm, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, somebody could probably go back and find sermons where I've said similar things, um, but I don't think it's right. It would be that'd be an interesting, an, an interesting STM thesis to to see how this particular command and their violation of it has been interpreted and understood in the history of the church. Mm. I bet Luther, I bet what Luther did there, I, I bet it's common. Yeah. I'm, I'm just guessing, but it wouldn't surprise me. And it's just like you said, you're, you're the lay people think that the lay people think exactly what you, what Luther wrote. Yeah, that's fine. That's why they ask you, did they sin? Because mm-hmm. they're, I mean, that question expects no. Of course, they couldn't have been sinning. They were praising God. Yeah. Right? It does expect the answer no. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know how contrary I like to be to the common opinions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so what What else? A- anything else? Or well, let's see. Where are we you thinking the- of headed? Heading, I should say. I'm a, I so I have a great excuse this week. I'm not preaching on this text. I'm not preaching that Sunday. So okay. I'm not heading any. I'm heading heading to the pew to listen. Okay. Um. So so how about you? Which way are you heading? I don't know. It's too too early for me. It's, I know. That's why that's a terrible question every week. It's just Thanks. your it's just your way of not saying. Do you have any final thoughts? <sighs> Wait, well, you got it. <laughs> I'm, I've. Constantly trying to figure out a way to uh, <laughs> to get me to summarize or wrap up or, or yeah or if there's anything that you missed. Nope, I think we got it. We got everything. You know, I still think that that twofold thing could something could be made of that too. Because mm-hmm. it it is in there. It is then there in the structure. It doesn't need to be repeated like that over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it's just stylistically pleasing. That that's okay if it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not. But even if it is just stylistically preaching, I mean, pleasing, you know, it doesn't have any deeper meaning than the, than the twofold reality of hearing and speaking. It's still repeated enough to be a matter of emphasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also, um, you know, would be a natural way of bringing the structure and the rhythm of the text into the sermon mm-hmm. by, you know, corresponding with it. Is there anything with all the kais and, and, Are there and. a lot of kais? Um, I didn't. I didn't really notice that this time. That is like, a figure I've, of speech. Sometimes polysyndeton. That's called. Yeah. So it's like verse thirty-one, and he returned. Yeah, you're right. And then thirty-two, and they brought, and then and, um, uh, they begged him. Yeah, I think Mark Mark uses more kais than the others. I don't. This one doesn't. This text doesn't seem to me to be quite. There are a lot of them. Seems like there are some where there are even more, but the point of it as a figure of speech is always a kind of piling on. Mm. So, so it's like and this, and this, and this, and mm-hmm. this. So but it doesn't really it, work in this one, does it? It doesn't seem like it does. It'd have to. I mean, the way you can figure that out is by by translating every chi, because probably our English translations don't translate all these chi's. Mm-hmm. Most so of them they did, you, though. Yeah, I don't think it's that that pronounced in this one. I mean, Mark does like to start sentences with Kai, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's a because he does it so much. It's it's less pronounced, I think. 
some there are texts though for sure where it's a real thing where it's mm-hmm. just this yeah i've heard you violent, talk about you know? it with regard to the um widow of at nain oh is that where yeah i remember there's i know there and are some Luke, though, of course but yeah um okay um anything else that we didn't get to i think we got it Alrighty. well thanks dave we'll thank you catch back up with you next week all right thanks jason <laughs>